0: Isaiah chapter 9, we will begin in verse 1 and continue through verse 7. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter times, he made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness, For every boot of the trampling warrior in the battle, tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burnt as fuel for the fire. For for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace." of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray, church. Father, we thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you that as a church, we get to Uh, celebrate the coming of your son father on this lord's day Um, and lord i just thank you that you have brought us all here together to worship you and we pray that uh, your spirit would be at work today uh, opening up our hearts our minds our eyes to see the beauty and the glory of jesus and this day we pray this in jesus name amen you may be seated uh, once again, peace be with you all. <clears throat> if you are new here, we welcome you. My name is Leo. I'm one of the pastors here. And we also want to welcome our children who are usually uh, in Keiki during this time. But we are so glad to have all of you with us. Um, hopefully you will understand at least a little bit of what I'm saying. And if you if you miss something, if you have questions... Ask your mom or dad after the service. They'll be glad to explain it to you. Um, We have this cliche that we often hear around Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season. And then Christmas happens to fall on Sunday, and we really get to see if we mean what we say, don't we? Um, But I really think Christmas on Sunday is a cherry on top of this great celebration Um, Of Christmas. Because Sunday is truly Christ's. It's our Lord's day. And Jesus has commanded us to gather and to worship Him on the Lord's day because on the first day of the week, on Sunday, Jesus rose again. The resurrection of Jesus is the single greatest event of all time, even greater than Christmas. And so we have two of the greatest holy days fall on one day, Christmas and the resurrection of our King. What a great day, church, to gather and worship together. Um, Typically on Christmas, we look at passages that um, show us the loneliness of Christ through the manger or um, through his um, very lowly coming to earth um, in a town of Bethlehem. Uh, with no room for him. Um, but today, I, 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 wanna, I want us to look at a different aspect of Christmas. I want us to look at the kingship, at the lordship of Christ. Um, and this morning, we're looking at one of the greatest prophecies spoken through Isaiah concerning the coming of Jesus, and particularly the reverberating effect That his coming will have on the entire cosmos, on the entire history. As we read the text, you may have noticed this prophecy is a joyful triumph of victory. We have images of war. Darkness is fleeing as light arrives, the captives are being freed, the spoils are divided. There is much joy and there is jubilant celebration. And at the center of this prophecy, at the center of this celebration, in these images of war, there is this child. A son is given. And this child clearly will be the one who will wage this war and bring about the victory that is spoken here in our text. This prophecy, in seven verses, tells us basically the entire story of God's redemptive work for humanity. This is a summary of the entire history um, of time, including our time. First, we see in verse 1 through 5 that even though this is a joy-filled, celebratory prophecy, through the cries of joy, we see much pain. We see anguish. We see darkness. We see oppression. This is a dark description of the cosmic state of humanity before this child arrives. Now, the origins of this darkness begins in the fall of humanity in the garden. When the serpent comes and deceives Adam, he deceives Eve, and they sin against God. Through that act, the kingdom of darkness arrives and establishes itself
1: among men and in the hearts of men, subduing and oppressing them through the bondage of sin and of death.
0: This is how darkness has arrived. And ever since then, all the nations of the earth are hopeless. Yet, as we know, the story continues. We see that from among these hopeless nations, God chooses for himself a people. Israel, a nation that he would set apart for himself. He would save them so that they would be representatives of the people of God that they would be a beacon of light, a beacon of hope to all the nations of the earth in the midst of darkness. And as we know, the story goes, they did a horrible job being a beacon of light. They utterly failed. They continually rejected God, going after gods of other nations. They continually walked in disobedience returning back to the sins and the darkness that God has saved them from. And so picture this scene. All the nations of the earth are living in darkness under the oppression of Satan. And the only beacon of light on earth is in Judea, but even they have forsaken God. Their light is a flickering candle. They themselves are living in darkness and anguish and oppressed. Even the people of hope are hopeless. And out of this dark time comes this amazing prophecy. This is a clear, certain declaration of what will take place. The nation of Israel, they looked forward to this day. Church, we look back and we celebrate at what Christ has done. This prophecy tells us first of what will happen to the nation of Israel, the land of Zabalin and Naphtali and Galilee. And we also see that this time around, this beacon of light, this bright light, this hope will not just be limited to the nation of Israel, but this hope is for the entire humanity, for all the nations of the earth. I just noticed as we were singing three of the songs that we sang, call the nations to rejoice. Call the nations to come and worship the king. And so how will this hope come? Who will free the nations from the oppressor? Who will bring this light? And as we know, this hope will come through the birth of a child. And of course, this child is the very Son of God, Jesus Christ, God-man, born of the Virgin on Christmas Day. This child will grow to be a man, and through him, God will wage war with the enemy of the nations. He will wage war against the enemy of our soul. God will wage war against the kingdom of darkness, against sin and against death itself. And as we read in our text, we see that God will win this war. Isaiah is prophesying with certainty. And we look back, knowing that this is true, that this has happened. We read, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. As fuel for the fire. These verses are epic scenes of battles. We have spoils being divided. Verse 4 and 5 uh, are particularly violent. These are imag- imageries of what Christ will do. And what Christ has done to our enemies. Um, we see this uh, the day of Midian. We, see, uh, we, we find this story in Numbers 31. Um, it's, a, it's, it's one of the most brutal uh, battles that Israel has fought. Five kings were killed. All males of Moab were destroyed. The spoils were paraded and then split among the people. And not a single man of Israel was killed. And this is, I'm just... Looking at the surface, I I, I want to be careful of how brutal we describe this. Um, if you go to uh, Numbers 31, it is a very violent scene that we see. Verse five is another image. It is an image of uh, the aftermath of a battle, when the victorious collect all the blood-stained garments of their dead enemy, and they burn it in this great fire. It's like a nail in the coffin
1: exclaiming their victory. And as we look at the story of Jesus' ministry, as we look at his life, we certainly don't see him commanding armies. He does not wield a sword. There are no epic battles per se. Where was all this violent war waging in the life of ministry in, in the ministry of Jesus?
0: As God waged war against sin and death against the kingdom of darkness, where was this violence described here in Isaiah
1: chapter nine? In church, the violence was there. The violence was on the bloody cross.
0: The, the Roman instrument of torture, except Jesus, the warrior, was shedding the blood. Jesus was the one being beat. Jesus was the one being killed. And you may ask, how does the cross compare to the epic battles of Midian? The epic battles described in the epic battles described in Isaiah 9 uh, verse 4 and 5 how is the cross triumphant how is it victorious
1: if the warrior himself had to die just imagine the great and powerful God creator of the universe
0: subjects Himself to his own creation.
1: Subject, subjects himself to them crucifying him on the cross. How is this epic? The cross is epic, and it is victorious
0: because that is where Satan's hold over us through our sin comes to an end this is where Christ cancels our debt our debt of sin that condemned us to eternal destruction it is glorious because because the debt of sin has been cancelled so with it has been cancelled Satan's power and hold over us and the only way to cancel is The record of debt that stood against us is for the righteous Christ to come and take the place that we deserved and pay the penalty of our sin with his very own blood and with his very own life. And because he is righteous, because he was the spotless lamb of God without sin, Because he is the holy son of God, he could not remain dead. And as we know, he rose again. He triumphed over death itself. And Christ has undone the failure of Adam. He has reversed the curse of sin that bounded us, that held us in grips of guilt and bondage. Christ has reversed that. And we read uh, the summary of this reality in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15. We read, "In you who were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. The rulers and authorities here are, these are the rulers of Satan's kingdom, the domain of darkness. He has disarmed them and he put them to open
1: shame by triumphing over them in him. Back in those days, after the battle, those who were victorious would
0: bind up all of their enemies especially the important ones, the kings, the captains, the leaders, they would bind them up, and in a celebratory march, they would parade them in the public square in front of all the citizens as the crowds would rejoice at the victory. They would triumph over the victory uh, that that they have defeated their enemies. And by doing this, they would put their defeated enemy to open shame. Paul says this is exactly what Christ has done. Jesus has bound the strong man. He has bound all of our enemies. Sin, death, Satan, and all of the powers of darkness. Christ has bound them and he put them to open shame. Christ has paraded them in the public square of the entire universe for all creation, for the entire cosmos to see the shame of darkness. Every time the gospel is proclaimed, the victory of Christ is declared and the enemy is put to shame. Every time the gospel is proclaimed, the enemy is declared weak and powerless. The work of Christ is declared to be strong and powerful. In church, we must see the global cosmic consequence of Christ's coming. The coming of the child, his life, his death, his resurrection, it ushers in a new age. Everything is new. It is a new epic the coming of christ marks the most significant division of history uh, of history and time this event is cataclysmic it is the age of christ's kingdom coming to earth it is the age of christ destroying the kingdom of darkness he has slain the dragon he crushed the serpent's head and things will never be the same for
1: humanity again. Just remember, before the coming of Christ was darkness with a
0: small flickering light, a candle barely holding on
1: in Israel. And now the coming of Christ, gloom and anguish has been replaced
0: with rejoicing. A people who once lived in darkness have seen a great light that will never, ever be extinguished. The burdens of the oppressors are lifted. The nations of the earth have seen a great light. And in verse 6 and 7, we read what God will be doing from that point till today and, 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 and into the eternity future. Here's the image, here's the vision that God gives us. Forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. As Jesus establishes his kingdom, he is not like our old master. Satan, who has brought evil, who has brought chaos, who has brought bondage to us. Our new king, King Jesus, he brings peace. Jesus brings forth righteousness. He brings forth justice. And notice the power of verse 7. This is a promise. This is a promise for Israel then. This is a promise to us church today. This is a promise to all the people of God. This is a definitive declaration. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace
1: there will be no end. The expansion of God's kingdom will
0: not see an end. This is a fact. This is a promise. Christ's rule over darkness and evil is not temporary. It will never cease. It will only increase. Righteousness and justice will be established from this time forth and forevermore. And look at the last line of verse 7. We read, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Father is enthusiastic about this mission. He is zealous for his kingdom. He will make sure that there will be no end to the increase of Christ's power and reign. The Father is behind this mission. He is zealous for it. He is enthusiastic to make sure that there will be no end to Christ's reign. So church, let's take our inventory. We see the coming of Christ ushers in a new age. It ushers it by defeating and putting to shame all of our enemies, sin and death and darkness, Christ establishes his kingdom and of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Do you see the magnitude and the glory of these words? Do you see the implications of the coming of Christ? Do you see how his coming changes everything? Church, This means we have a bright future. This means we have a hope-filled future. This is why Jesus told Peter, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Never. Because there will be no end to the expansion of Christ's kingdom. Church, we are not victims. We belong to a kingdom that will never end. We are not victims All attempts of hell to stop the advancement of Christ's kingdom are futile. Church, we are a hope-filled people. And we are hope-filled because Christ is king. The church, sadly, many people think, um, and they, they, they only have this image of Christ. The image of a manger. The image... Of Jesus lying peacefully, surrounded by the shepherds and the sheep. And that image, it has its profound meaning and implications. Uh, I think we looked at it last year,
1: what it means for us. But that is not who Jesus is today. He was in that manger for just one night.
0: And I want to read to you. To us, out of Revelation 19, an image of who Christ is today right now. We read um, Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called the faithful and true, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood. And the name by which he is called is the Word of God. The armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he will strike down the nations And he will rule them with rod and iron. He will tread the winepress of his fury of wrath of God Almighty. And his robe. And on his robe and on his tie, he has a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. Church, this is who Jesus is right now. He is glorious. He is powerful. He is awesome. And of the increase of his government and his kingdom, there will be no end. And so, since the dawn of this new age, it's been 2,000 years.
1: How has that promise held up? Has God been true to what he said?
0: How has this declaration of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. How's that going? Let's look over the past 2,000 years. I just want to mark mostly the early church history and um, the last century of our time. By the end of the first century, by the year 100, all the apostles have died. John the Apostle died just a few years before this, 98 or 99. And at this time, there's an estimated 10,000 Christians. 70 years of work by Christ and the apostles. We have about 10,000 Christians. This is about 0.01% of the population. 100 years later, by the end of year 200, we have approximately 200 Christians. By the end of year 250, there were more than a million By the end of the year 300, there were approximately 6 million Christians and millions during that time are believed to have been killed through persecution. During Constantine's reign, that number jumped to about 30 million by year 350. And church, fast forward to 1900, there are 600 million Christians worldwide And over the next 120 years till today, that number has quadrupled from 600 million to more than 2 billion Christians worldwide. 31% of the population, the world's population, is claiming to be Christian today. Of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. Now, we understand that those numbers include a lot of questionable sects and denominations and nominal Christians. Uh, We also see throughout church history, after massive exponential growth, come times of purification and pruning uh, through persecutions. We see throughout history that the growth of Christianity would plateau, even decline at some times as God cleans up the house. But all of that cleaning, all of that pruning has always led to more growth. Church, we cannot deny the force with which Christ rules and reigns. We cannot uh, deny the force with which his kingdom has spread over the past 2,000 years. And today, in almost every city on earth, We can find churches who are faithfully declaring the word of God shining lights in darkness. In almost every city on earth, we can find a faithful church. And so church, today, as we look at the world around us, as we look ahead, do you believe this promise of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end? Do you believe that the zeal of the Lord of hosts is at work today to do this? As we look at our world today, there's a lot to fear. There is much to fret over. There is much uh, anguish, uncertainty, rumors of war and war. There is economic instability, political instability, social instability. Instability among the church. As we look around us, it is easy to lose lose hope. It is easy to think, God, where are you? Where is your zeal? Where is the increase of your government? And Christmas,
1: it is a reminder to us, church, that all is well. Our hope is alive. Christ is reigning and ruling. Christ is still committed. God is still committed to his mission. And he is still enthusiastic about it. We have much reason to be joyful and
0: jubilant, church. We have much reason to celebrate and to worship. The enemy of our soul has been defeated. And we belong to Christ who purchased us with his precious blood and brought us into his kingdom.
1: And his kingdom will not end, but it will only increase. And, friend, if you are wondering,
0: how do I become a part of this kingdom? I hope you're uh, making uh, calculations in your mind. I hope you're beginning to think that if it's increasing, uh, I I better get on board. Um, And we we will read the consequences of those who do not get on board. I hope you're making that calculation. I hope you are asking, how do I
1: become part of this kingdom? Where do I sign up? Friend, it begins in your heart. The establishment of his kingdom. His reign
0: begins in the darkness of your heart. He is powerful to disarm the enemy of your soul and free you from the captivity of sin and of guilt that holds you captive today. His kingdom has no end. Your heart, your bondage, is no match to him there is much hope for you the kingdom starts by being established in your soul and so come come and find refuge in christ come and fall before the king of kings repent of your sin repent of all the ways that you have sinned against the creator of the universe Against the God who reigns and before whom every nation and every person will give an account. Come before him. Fall before him. blessed are all those who find refuge in him. They will not be judged because their sin has already been judged in Christ. Come and find refuge in Christ. Believe in the work that he has done and he will establish his kingdom in you. And it will not have an end. And with that kingdom, you will not have an end. Church, we have much to celebrate. We have much to rejoice in. There's a reason why we sing joy to the world. Because to our world, a great light has come. And this light will never be extinguished. It will only grow brighter. And church, as we finish, I want to read Psalm 2. It is another battle scene. It is is a psalm that was quoted by the early church. It is a psalm that encapsulates um, the birth of Christ. um, How from the very beginning kings sought to kill Christ. How they have conspired against the Lord. How they tried to stop his rule and reign. But to no avail. So we will finish with Psalm 2. We will pray and then we will continue to rejoice. We read, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth, they set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens, He laughs. The the Lord holds him in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations And you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, again, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for your son. We thank you that you have not left us in darkness under the oppression and reign of Satan. But Father you loved us and you demonstrated this love for us by giving us your son who came and triumphed over our enemies who destroyed sin and death and established his kingdom on earth in our hearts and father we pray as you increase your kingdom that you would increase it among us, that you would increase it in the hearts of our children, that you would increase it in the hearts of every single person here in our church, that you would increase it, Lord, and establish it in the hearts of those who do not know you, in the hearts of those in whom darkness still reigns, those who are still captive to sin, who are in bondage, Lord, and who are under the oppression of their guilt. Come in, Father, Rule and reign in those hearts, rule and reign in our hearts today. Fill us with joy, Father, this day as we celebrate your coming, as we celebrate the work of Christ, his death, his resurrection, and as we look ahead to his coming. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through it we have so much hope, Father. I pray that we would not be dismayed. I pray that we would not be filled with fear, Lord, but I pray that we, as your people, would look boldly in the future, filled with hope and certainty of what you have promised. Lord, knowing, already, looking back and seeing the fruit of your increase, Lord. Father, fill us with joy, fill us with hope as we go forth and celebrate this day. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.